I know how you were raised. All right, and I know how people fucking think out there, and fuck, it's gotta be that way. They gotta tell you that thou shalt not kill shit and all of that. But that's not the way the world works, Selby, because I'm out there every fucking day living it. Who the fuck knows what God wants? People kill each other every day. And for what? Hmm? For politics. For religion. And they're heroes. No. No, there's a lot of shit I can't do anymore. But killing's not one of them. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only got one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined by Instagram's The Perks of Being Kevin to discuss Charlize Theron's Oscar-winning performance for the 2003 film Monster. Kevin, good to have you on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this one with you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie in particular. I know you're a big Um, Charlize fan, so talk a little bit. Yes. This was the movie that really got me into cinema as a whole because I just think it's so fascinating how she just transforms herself completely into being like someone she's completely not. And like, it's just trying to find the right words. Oh, yeah. Um, It's it's a very transformational performance to say that. Right, right. It's just so much like dedication went into this film as a whole that like really opened my eyes to like other films as well. Like after this, I watched Sunset Boulevard when I was like 12. So like it got me into those movies on like Netflix and stuff. So it got me into older movies too. So I like that about it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm glad that this is a movie that uh, I can have you on to talk about. Right. (laughs) The whole film loving career. That's, that's awesome. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to just do a, a breakdown of the movie before we start really talking about okay. it. We're talking about Monster from 2003, written and directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Charlize Theron, Christina Ricci, Bruce Dern, Lee Turgeson, Andy Corley, Marco St. John, Kevin Vince, Scott Wilson, a bunch of other character actors and right. small roles. Uh, Kane Hodder, I think, is one of the... Uh, uh, I, I... The, like the undercover cops at the end? Right? Yeah, yeah, is, I think he is, yeah. Uh, horror <laughs> movie people. It premiered as the closing night film uh, of the 2003 AFI Fest on November 16th, 2003. Uh, it premiered as a qualifying release on December 17th in the US, and then it opened limited on January 9th, 2004. So, uh, yeah, the, that's the basics of the movie we're talking about. So let's... Let's uh, start our first segment. I imagine we're going to have a whole lot to say. So Right. There's so much I have to say about this. Like, it's just hard to find the words for it, though, you know? Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very particular type of performance and type of... Right. That right. Sometimes it is hard to, like... I mean, it's, right. the thing of it is the transformation is the way she carries right. it. So, like, right. There's so many small things. And that, agreed. <laughs> and... This is, like, my favorite performance of all time, like, by any actor. So, like, I feel like I won't do it justice talking about it, though, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's like, your absolute favorite. Right? It's just one you have to see for yourself, kind of, too. Yeah. And I imagine, like, for the past few weeks, I've done movies that people have seen, but they're relatively smaller. This is definitely one of the 
more widely seen movies, I think. Yes. That I get to talk about on this show, especially right. recently. Um, so I imagine a lot of people will have seen this one, or at the very least will be aware of it, even if they haven't seen it. Especially, it's helped by the fact that she did end up winning. Uh, and we'll right. Which she actually won the Oscar on Eileen Warnos's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at facts, and I was like, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> also, I do want to uh, preface up front, my laptop has been having some issues, and the fan won't turn off. So I'm going to fix it in post, in the audio. But if there's yeah. a consistent, like, buzzing noise in the background, that'll be fixed. I'm getting a new laptop soon, hopefully, so that won't be going on for too long. Uh, but right. just, I apologize up front if that uh, bothers you. So this, you mentioned that this is a very transformational performance. Uh, yes. Yeah, like very physically, and not just in the basic, like, physical look that she had. She did gain 30 pounds and put on, right. the, like, there's a whole prosthetic makeup that she has on. She has these fake right. sort of eyebrows. But it's also, like, just the way she carries herself right. from top to bottom is very different from any right. performance I've seen of hers. Right. And same here. It's unlike anything she's ever done before. And I've seen all of her movies except two. So, like, this is one where, like, it really stands out. Because, like, you can just tell how different she is from, like, her other films. Like, um... I'm curious about those other two you haven't seen. Um, which, there was a, um, I haven't seen Head in the Clouds, which is, I think it's from 2005. So with her and Penelope Cruz, I think. And the other one is, this is like one of her like breakout films, but it was The Devil's Advocate. I haven't seen that one yet. I mean, I haven't either. And that's the film that got her this role too, actually. Yeah. Like, Patty Jenkins saw it and was like, you're going to be Eileen. <laughs> yeah. So, she made the right choice. Yeah, there were a bunch of actresses, I think, that wanted this role or that the studios wanted for the role. But, uh, no, Patty right. Jenkins... One of them, I think, I think it was, um, I might not be right about it, but I think Angelina Jolie was in talks of being Warnos. That sounds and right. I couldn't right. picture that. I couldn't yeah. picture that. I couldn't picture like, that, but it seems like the kind of... Uh, actress they would want for the role. Uh, right. Like, like 2003 Angelina Jolie, that's definitely the, the, like, the right sort of figure they want for something like this. Uh, right. She has her Oscar and she is going into more dramatic stuff. But right. yeah, uh, there, was, there was one moment that I, I wrote down specifically, and she does it a few times in the movie, that like really sold the whole top to bottom uh, just mm -hmm. transformation is the first time she does it is when she's at the bar, her hair's all wet and she's been talking to Sylvie for a bit and she like leans forward and flips her head back and like flips her hair oh, yeah. back and it's very much like a non-flattering just sort of like this is right. what I need to get my hair done I'm just going to flip my head back and let it sort of toss about on the back of my head and it's like wow it's just some, something that small and it's like I don't know if uh, many other actors would think to implement something like that into the sort of physical performance of it. Uh, but it's right. just a perfect way of encapsulating that Eileen is very, like, crass and, like, right. really pay She off just doesn't care. 
Yes. He doesn't care what <laughs> what anyone thinks about No. Him. No. And I love how Charlie's like plays into that and like really sells that about her too. Like she's like, Yeah, I can do this. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then she'll just go and do it like that. <laughs> the whole like middle act where she's just applying for different jobs and, and do we like everyone else around her is like you are not fit for this role. You you don't have the qualifications. You don't have the experience. You're right. not like the kind of person that we want to hire, essentially. But right. she get deterred. At no point does she like, do we even see in Charlize's performance that uh, the character, well, I mean, the, the real life person this is based on a true story. If right. anyone wasn't aware. Um, but at no point do we get that look on Charlize's face of like, yeah, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe this. Maybe I am right. parking up the wrong tree. No, if she wants the no. job, she thinks she's going to get it. Yes. She's very determined to, like, get what she wants. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in not every case is what she wants necessarily a good thing. Because as we see, she ends up uh, using that confidence for uh, very different uh, outcomes than what you might expect. Yeah. The average person. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, true. <laughs> the other thing, though, about the whole transformation, and we kind of alluded to it with, like, uh, Devil's Advocate, is that the other actresses that were in contention were sort of seen as more legitimate actresses, for lack of a better word, like right. more actual, right. dramatic actresses with dramatic acting skills and at this point charlie's had mostly just done like devil's advocate and the cider house rules and like right those are drama but she's she was kind of just like oh the pretty girl that maybe wasn't right or at least that was the perception of her. that was how yeah so this i mean the de-glam of it definitely helped the whole uh breaking of that stereotype but right yeah, this is like the movie that like made her the huge star she is now, and like I think without this role, we wouldn't have like seen too much of her. Yeah. Like, even though she's like given good performance before this, like I don't think she wouldn't been as huge as she became without this role. Yeah, and the Oscar definitely reflects that of like this is a real career sort of level up for a real right, right next and like. I've seen several other people being like, this is like one of the best Oscar winners too for acting. Okay. Like it's like an, if you see like a list online, like top 10 Oscar winners, she's always in it for it. Okay. Like at least the ones I've seen. <laughs> That's winners of recent years. She's almost right. in like the top five. Right. As yeah. she should be. Oh, absolutely. As she should be. <laughs> this is a great performance and a worthy win. Uh, right <laughs> yeah uh, going back to the whole uh, segment where she's doing the interviews there's uh, there's a moment where she's applying for some job as like a legal secretary and the guy really dresses her down he's a real piece of shit about it uh, right she right away is like you know what fuck you I don't need this place I don't need this you, blah 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 all this stuff and the guy like, calls in this like secretary like Leslie get in here and need to escort people out. And she's like, you know what? No, fuck this. She gets in. Like, fuck you, Leslie. The, the fuck you, Leslie line was improvised. A very good mo- and memorable moment there. But just 
she really does inhabit the role. Like she knows that that that's what Eileen would do. Eileen wouldn't like right. to be like, oh fuck you, this guy. But you know what? I'll see myself out, older woman. Like no, fuck you, older woman. Fuck that. Like she doesn't give a shit. And then no. later when they're at the when they're at the restaurant and uh, I think Selby is smoking and the guy. The manager is like, hey, you can't smoke in here. And she like gets up and pushes him into the table. Like, yeah. <laughs> really, really, she doesn't give a fuck about anyone. No, no. She's very, she seems very stubborn and like set in her own ways, you know? Exactly. But like, you can't really blame her for that though. Cause like she was forced to grow up so young. Oh, like yeah. from her trauma and stuff. Like, you get so I kind of, under- I, un- I understand it, but. <laughs> yeah. And like the movie gets into a little bit in just through dialogue of what uh, Eileen Warnos's like childhood was like, and it feels at some points like, oh, there, this has to be exaggerated, right? Like this has to be right. overly traumatic because there's no way that's what it was like in real life. But no, that is what it was like right. in real life. Yeah. Her mother. Yeah, this film is scary yeah. accurate on her life. Yeah. It's sad, <laughs> heartbreaking. Yeah. Her mother abandoned her when she was, I think, only a few months old. Her father killed himself yeah. in prison when she was a child. She was raised. She yeah. and her siblings were raised by her grandparents, and they all believed that their grandparents were their biological parents. So when they had that, like, when that truth was revealed to them, that was really traumatic. Her grandfather's friend repeatedly molested her, and then I think her mm-hmm. grandfather. Uh, yeah. He beat her or something yeah, for like for having he like blamed her for it. Like Yeah. She ended up turning to prostitution at like twelve or thirteen. She got pregnant yeah. at thirteen, had the child at fourteen, and then never put it up put him up for adoption and uh, never contacted him again for the rest of her life. Yeah. I don't think there was any contact there. So yeah, definitely a traumatic life and definitely a very right. fascinating figure to sort of dissect and right and interpret uh, and right like, i don't want to fall into the tropes of like a true kind of, true crime podcast trying to figure out the right. of real life serial killer but uh, right it's interesting to look at like wow this woman really did have it going just the absolute worst for her from the very beginning uh, right. she didn't have a chance and it's just it's heartbreaking to like watch this film and like just like knowing how accurate it is to this person's life. Just like knowing that someone went through that, you know, like. <laughs> you get that a lot in Charlize's performance. You get a lot of, like, for most of the movie, she is putting on a, not an optimistic face, but like she's hyping herself up uh, around Selby for the most part. A lot of it yeah. coming across as more, at least in the scenes that she has with Selby, she's coming across as more put together than we see that she really is. But there are those moments. There's the opener right. uh, sitting under the underpass, like contemplating suicide. And there's a few other moments of that, a very introspective moments of where Charlie's right. allowed to just wallow in that grief and in that just, what the fuck am I going to do? So, right. And she does it perfectly. Like, you can like really tell like from her like, facial expressions like the way she like holds herself like that she's truly broken down and like at her like lowest point oh yeah and, and like and you want to talk should... about like a scene where she is at her lowest point there's i mean we don't have to get too much into it because it is 
really graphic, but there's the first scene of her first uh, murder right. where the John that has picked her up, like beats her over the head and then ties her up and is like, yeah, yeah, assaulting her and says he's going to kill her. And just the screams that she has, like the, just the way that she vocalizes the pain and just, it's like terrifying and depressing right. and just really brutal all at once. And it is. It's so brutal. And it's just so well acted by her too. Cause like, it seems like that's actually happening to her. Yeah. Like it okay. doesn't feel like it's like acting. Yeah. It just seems so natural. In other movies. And it feels like, okay, yeah, this is very dark, but it's still at the end of the day, you can tell that it's acting. Most movies would put right. that move there so that the audience doesn't have that true discomfort of like, oh God, I'm watching a legitimate rape happen. But in this movie, right. they don't understand. They really, uh, and like that, that is uh, uh, props to Patty Jenkins for not holding back on that, for not sort of uh, right. honoring that moment. You really, you right. really get into the, just the brutal nature of it, uh, which, right. which serves as a really interesting uh, framing device in the movie because it makes the scene where she ends up escaping and killing him almost cathartic. And you're not right. Like, I mean, you're in, not rooting moment, for her, but you're not being like, oh, bad. <laughs> yeah, the movie definitely right. plays a very interesting, it walks a very interesting line between sympathy for Eileen as a victim and also condemning her for right. her actions, but also like human. It's right. I it like, like shows her in a very human way. Yeah. Like, uh, it makes us like kind of feel bad for her, but at the same time, we're not rooting for her. Yeah. Have you, you seen know, uh, any of the documentaries about Eileen Willis? Um, I've seen a few of them, but that was like years ago. Yeah. I watched uh, Selling of a Serial Killer, I believe it's called. Eileen Willis Selling of a Serial Killer from 92 and 93. So like right after she got arrested and put on trial for uh only the first killing, I believe, right? Wasn't she only tried for one of them, but they brought in evidence for the others, and that was what really sold the conviction? It's something weird. Though. I think so. Um, I think so. But, like, the movie really skips over that time. It just goes to, like, it ends right after the trial before. And she right. was uh, executed in 2002. So right before this. Perfect. I think even as they right. I'm not totally sure on the timeline on that. But, like, the movie definitely glosses over... The documentary is kind of bizarre. Like, her lawyer that is representing her is just this really weird figure. She was adopted by, like, a Christian woman in, like, her 50s while she was on trial. She was, like, legitimately adopted, which that's weird and not something that I was expecting. Um... It's just, it's a really weird documentary. And there's... I'll have to check it out. ...to the story than I realized, just from watching this. Right. Right. I wish Monster would have been a longer film. Because, like, there's so much more, like, that could have been in it story-wise. But, like, it was... I don't know. (laughs) I feel like it just could have been longer for, like, that purposes. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely moves by quickly. It's it's very it keeps 
I mean, it keeps you on your toes. It, it never right. uh, draws anything out to the point that you just want it to be over or want it to move on. But like, but yeah, there definitely could be more. Uh, if for anything else, just to get more of this performance. Really, really. Right. <laughs> I've worked on a lot of quotes, but like out of context, I don't quite remember what they're all about. She says man and shit a lot, like as sort of like oh, yeah. to her sentences, yeah. which I think also really adds to the whole the glam nature of it. Because like on top of being sort of the pretty face that Charlize Theron was sort of viewed as, she was very much like a, like a, I mean, I don't want to say delicate because that's definitely a, a low right. but it, like she was sort of like the, like the prim and proper sort of like beautiful up on a pedestal type woman. And so having her just like right. ending every sentence with like, oh, right. no, shit, no, blah, blah. it definitely adds to the whole, like, oh yeah, this woman she's playing is the exact opposite of everything. Right. From Charlotte. Right. You almost like forget it's even Charlie Saren in it too. Oh, like I was describing the movie to a friend the other day, uh, and I mentioned how like in most movies or most performances where someone is described as being like a full transformation, at the end of the day when I'm watching it, I can still be like, oh yeah, this is so and so actor in a lot of makeup or with like having lost, uh, gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight or whatever. Watching this legitimately if i didn't know that it was charlie's under there i don't think i would have been right. able to pull him. no no <laughs> i remember when i first watched it i was like that's charlie's <laughs> like yeah it just looks nothing like her like yeah. not one thing about her looks like charlie's yeah and not just the look but the voice and the, the right she's like slumped over but also because she's next to like five foot nothing christina ricci she's like slumped <laughs> over but still like towering over most of her scene part right so it's a it's a weird sort of like lankiness to her performance and like but it's still i it's really hard to describe every single facet of what feels so different about this performance right there's so many things that are like we could talk about it for like hours and hours (laughs) it's just one of those that you watch it and you're just in awe of everything that they managed to achieve. It, it's right. an achievement, I think, above all else, that they were able to get this performance and that Charlize was able to so fully immerse herself in such a particular role. And you watch documentaries, you watch clips of the real Eileen Warnos, and she really nailed it. Right. right. It's not just like, oh, she's doing a particular character that happens to be based on a real person. No, she's like really... Right really nailing the mannerism. Right. She's like becoming Eileen, essentially. Yeah. Like it's hard to put in words how great she is. Like yeah, it really, just everything about it. <laughs> like um, I, I usually end up writing a lot of notes on these. But this like my note take my notes for her specifically take up like half a page because I I just kept getting like I had seen this before, but I kept right. getting just glued to the screen of like I'm just so lost in this performance that, like, I can't formulate the right words to describe it. Right. Like, that's the thing. It's kind of hard to talk about it because there's so much to say, but you just don't know how to say it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like. (laughs) But, I mean, long story short, she is really great in this movie. It's one of the great performances. Uh, And it's such a particular type that, like, it's almost surprising that it did win because it feels so... Not abnormal, but just 
I don't know. Like, it, it's not, I mean, for one, especially in lead actress, they don't really like these sort of abrasive, unlikable uh, women, especially right. real life figures. Like, when they're, right. when they're rewarding someone who is a real life person, they don't usually like to go for, you know, a, a woman that murdered seven men. Uh, right. And was just generally a very, like, manipulative person. Um, right. I do. Have yeah, a- I was pretty surprised that she won too. But like, when you watch it, like, I couldn't imagine anyone else winning though too. Yeah. She won like the majority of like the award she was up for too for it. Oh yeah. Well, like we'll get and like we get into a later segment. But yeah, yeah she really did run the gamut this year. Um, she did. <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to say? about Charlize's performance in this movie? Any other... Mo- um, not too much. Like, I like how she plays her in a very human way. Like, I can't trust that enough. Like, she makes it so we see her as a human. Yeah. And, like, we don't really necessarily feel bad for her. We just see all the hardships and stuff that she went through. Yeah. And, like, I just think it's super well done. Like, it was a constant battle for her, too. Oh, yeah. I, I think we really got into the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, so right. with that, uh, let's move on to talk about the rest of the movie, which uh, I have a feeling we have a particular person we want to talk about. You can stop, Lee. Stop what? You can stop the game. I am out there trying my best, okay? Why did you quit hooking? Because... Because I needed to, all right? Because you thought I was stupid enough to support you! No, Selby! <laughs> that you wouldn't even have to fuck me to get it because I'm so hard on No, no, Selby, that is not the reason. You said that we were going to party, 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 Lee. Well, it's been a fucking party! No, okay, Selby. Oh, no, because it's about it. Nothing when I tell you that I'm starving. Because, all right, I just. Because you're using me. No, I. Because you're fucking using me! Because I fucking killed someone, all right? So. Yeah, let's talk about Christina Ricci in this movie. What do you, what do you think of her performance? I, I know it's a, a bit of a divisive one. I know some people like right. it, some people don't. I do not like Selby at all. Like, she's very childish and naive. But yeah. Ricci plays her really well. Yeah. Like, even though, like, I don't like the person, like, she does a great job of playing her, you know? Yeah. And I honestly, this might be a hot take, but I think she should have been in the best supporting actress category. Uh, I agree with that point. Uh, like, I think she could have replaced Patricia Clarkson I haven't, for Pieces of April. I haven't seen all of that supporting actress lineup, but yeah, I think she should have been in there. And uh, yeah. Roger Ebert, who, by the way, loved this movie. It, it was his, like, favorite movie of the year. I think he put it like number three of the decade. So he was, he was a big uh, advocate for this movie. But he, uh, in his review, talking about Christina Ricci, he said that she finds the, ni- the right note for Selby Wall. So correct, some critics have mistaken it for bad acting, and in <laughs> fact, it is sublime acting in its portrayal of a bad actor. She plays Selby as clueless, dim, in over her head, picking up cues from moment to moment, Probably her behavior out of notions borrowed from bad movies, old songs, and barroom romances. Which I think that's like exactly what we're getting. That's like, spot on. Yeah. Like that's the best way to describe what she does in this movie. <laughs> yeah. 
is like a little bit whiny and a little bit like like she idolizes Eileen a little bit too much and she kind of expects too much from her. Right. Uh, And she like creates a false reality of like who Eileen is. Yeah. But it's not that she's a she's a bad actress in this. She's a good actor playing someone who's just lost in the world. Right. Come to depend on this person who is even if the movie uh, sort of adds a few extra layers of humanity to Eileen, like at her heart, Eileen Warnos is still a very manipulative person, a very cold yeah. person that yeah. uh, definitely sort of takes advantage of Selby, even if she doesn't want to. Uh, and even if she doesn't realize that that's quite what she's doing, she's still taking advantage of this young, closeted, essentially lesbian who right. doesn't have a support system at home, doesn't really have anywhere to turn to, and sees this like right. slightly older woman who she perceives as having more control of her life uh, because she's such a brash personality. And just that connection that they make is so... like It's based on nothing, essentially. It's based it on is. Eileen, who at, the, at that point wasn't even really... Uh, I don't know if she identified as lesbian, especially not in this moment, but she, right. it ends up being a gay bar and Sylvia like sees her from across the bar and starts talking to her from there. It's really based on chance uh, in that right. as the movie uh, presents it because Selby is sort of a fictionalization of Eileen's actual uh, partner during this time. I didn't write down what her real name was, uh, but it's, it's a very, uh, different take on the on that person uh i think she's much younger than the actual woman was she doesn't really look like her she's like i mean it's tiny little christina ricci right uh, middle part dicaprio mullet which by the way the most uh unrealistic part about this movie is that christina ricci would ever have trouble picking up someone in a lesbian bar right yeah Um, (laughs) I was like, well, I guess. I, I'll, I'll just pretend that's happening. Pretension <laughs> of this movie. But yeah, no, I think she's really good in this movie. I think she has some really good emotional moments playing off of uh, Eileen. And right. it's like, yeah, like you said, she definitely should have been more in the conversation for supporting actress this year, especially yeah. because at this point she's like a former child actress that is now really proving herself as an interesting right. dramatic actress in this time. She's worked with Tim Burton by now. She's done some other stuff. I don't remember what she'd done in the immediate feed up to this. But it's kind of surprising that she wasn't more in the conversation too. Especially with right. Charlize sort of running the, uh, the gamut of the best actress for this everywhere. Right, right. Like, I'm surprised she didn't, like, when I was looking at like the nominations and stuff for the film, I, like, barely saw her name anywhere for it. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of surprising she didn't even get, like, a Golden Globe nomination. Like, yeah. that's usually where, like, I would picture her getting the nomination in. Yeah, or, like, SAG, especially, if they're loving this right. actress performance. And right. Ricci is someone that has been in, like, she's worked with, like, so many actors at this point. Really. Right, right. Anyone in the industry would have rewarded her somewhere. Right. It's just, I, she should have been nominated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, not to get too much into 
what other nominations this movie should have gotten because that's how we're going to end the episode. That's how we end them all. But, oh, yep, yep. <laughs> the makeup in this is genuine. Like, we talked about it. It's right. genuinely so realistic looking on top of being so transformative. Like, it, it makes her look different, but it also doesn't make her right. look like she has a lot of makeup on. Right. Just it just makes her look like Eileen Warnos. Eileen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, I, I feel like if this were any other year than 2003, it probably would have gotten a makeup nomination. It just so happened to be the year of Return of the King, Master and Commander, and Pirates of the Caribbean. So a lot of very, like, fantasy-heavy, right? heavy makeup. And yeah. The shortlist, yeah, uh, the Wikipedia page for the Best Makeup Oscar has the uh, the list of all the movies that made the shortlist that ended up not getting the nomination. So it did make that shortlist along with Cold Mountain, The Last Samurai, and Peter Pan. So it came close to some degree. I, right. I wonder if maybe Cold Mountain or even The Last Samurai got closer just because those movies got a lot of tech nominations. But right. the makeup was Possibly. such like a talking point this year. Right, right. It's like one of the best things about this movie. Like, there's so many other great things about it, but like the makeup and like everything about like how they like make the actors look really adds to the whole film as itself. Even, well, Christina Ricci, like you can tell it's her, but like she's she's still right, right, right. (laughs) Still do a good job with it. (laughs) And hairstyle. Right. Right. <laughs> and on that, along with the makeup, I know this would never be the kind of movie they would nominate here, but the cost, like the very particular contemporary, like setting it in the late 80s, early 90s costume design that they have, it's not flashy. It doesn't like draw your no. attention, but it's really fun. And like, it is. like the robot pajamas that uh, Selby right. has and like all the different t-shirts that Eileen wears and the hat she ends like kind of an iconic hat the one that she takes from the first John that she kills and like oh yeah maybe that red ball cap Um, and just like there's a a few different outfits in this that like it's not ever the type of movie they'll nominate for best costume design just because that's not how the brand tends to lean but like right if they had gone for it it would have been so inspired such a cool like this is this really sells late eighties, early nineties costume. Right. It did a really good di- uh really good job of like really selling like that it's like set in the nineties, early two thousands. Like yeah. like you said with like the costumes and stuff. Just yeah. wish they would have more like what's the word I'm looking for? Like more spots for like nominations for like technical awards like that. Yeah. Oh, there's the scene. Uh, it's a really fun scene between them where they're at a roller rink together. Uh, just like, it's before they've started like dating, uh, but there's still there's there's chemistry between them. And Selby right. really has a crush on Eileen and has invited her to go roller skating with her. Uh, and they go skating for a bit, and then the couples dance comes on, and it's "Don't Stop Believing," which like right. such a, a cheesy pick for this type of scene. 
but also the exact type of song that you would expect to come on the radio uh, as this right. in this like tiny little Florida uh, roller rink. Um, but like they start doing their slow dance skate thing together and they have a, a kiss that's like genuinely very sweet. Uh, and I wasn't like, I had forgotten about that scene when I went back to watch it for this. Uh, but it's it's very emotional. It's a very sweet little scene. And then it, it does is. Pass them like making out against the wall and right. the right. uh, Yeah, it's a good little moment. It is. Their chemistry together is surprisingly really great in this movie. Yeah. Like it's really sold, like that they're like a believable couple kind of, you know? Yeah, which is especially odd and interesting considering what a kind of abrasive character Charlize is playing that she's able to right. with such believable chemistry with Selby with uh, right. is, is a real testament to the fact that they both really know what characters they're playing and how to get at that level of emotion right I mean outside of Charlize and Christina Ricci there's not a whole lot of people to talk about for this like Bruce Dern shows up for a few scenes as her friend who like I think owns the storage facility where she keeps her yes yep Um, and he's fun and they also have good chemistry together too yeah like she kind of sees him as like a friend kind of yeah like I think she even refers to him as her best friend in the scene like where he's like do you want a sandwich (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) It's a tiny performance, and it's, like, it's not really something that I would talk about as, like, legitimately a best supporting actor type performance. Uh, right. But Scott Wilson showing up as the last guy that she ends up killing, the older man that picks her up, and she's like, hey, come on, I'll take you over the side, we can uh, work something out. And he's like, no, I, I just want to get you some help, I just want to drive you somewhere. Uh, but she makes him pull over, and she, like, gets him out and holds him right. at gunpoint. And he's like, he's like bawling through. He's like, no, I, I, I promise I wasn't going to hurt you. I wasn't going to do anything like that. Oh God, my wife, my grandkids, whatever. Right. And she like clearly is getting affected. She doesn't want to kill this guy. Right. But at this point, she's now held him at gunpoint and she can't just let him go. And she ends up killing right. him. And it's off screen, but like, he's really good in that one little scene. He um, is. Yeah. He is. It's a really good scene, and, like, you can just show, like, you can tell that she still has, like, emotions and feelings. Yeah. Like, and it, when he's, like, bringing up his family, you can tell she's upset that, like, she doesn't really have a family. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> adds to that whole, like, it, it makes you think back on, like, oh, God, she didn't necessarily exactly have the best relationship with her grandfather, so. Right, maybe not having the effect that he's thinking it's having by appealing to that sort of uh, familial bond. It's like, oh God, no, don't say that. That's going to make her even more emotional in this moment. Uh-huh. And she doesn't. Right. Um, the score for this is interesting. It's an electronic score, which I had completely forgotten by an artist named BT. Uh, he also did oh. the score for Go and The Fast and the Furious and a few other movies around this time. Um, but it's a pretty good score. I noticed it a few times. 
I also want to point out, I think Patty Jenkins is the only person that could have wrote and directed this film. Exactly. Like, I couldn't picture anyone else doing it. Yeah. No, she really gets the grittiness of this. And it was, I believe, her first feature film. I think she had done Yes. But this was her She's done a lot of TV stuff beforehand, but this was, like, her first big movie. And then her next big movie wasn't... Or her next feature film wasn't for 14 years when she did Wonder Woman. Which right, was which was such a random... Yeah. I don't know if she did that of her own accord, if she stepped away from making movies, or if, for whatever reason, this put her in, like, director jail somehow, even though it won an Oscar. Right. I, I never looked up on that, but I always thought... Like, when Wonder Woman was coming out, and I saw, like, it was directed by Patty Jenkins, I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, weird you wouldn't trick. expect her to go from a movie about a serial killer to, like, Wonder Woman. More than a decade later. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm just looking through my other notes. Uh, I guess Eileen Warnos would have been... She would have known about this movie as it was in production because she gave Patty Jenkins like hundreds of letters that she had either written or received as like a, just for background information about her uh, when making the movie. But it's interesting that she got those letters from Eileen herself too. Yeah, especially because she was such a generally private person, especially when she was in prison. She didn't really like to talk to a lot of people. Uh, right. So I wonder what she would have thought about this movie uh, as it was being made or after the fact if she had... Uh, I guess lived long enough to see it. I don't know really what's going on. Right. Um, yeah, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the rest of the movie, or are you ready to move on to the Oscar conversation? I think that was about it. The nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role are... Keisha Castle-Hughes in Whale Rider. Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give. Samantha Morton in In America. Charlize Theron in Monster. Naomi Watts in 21 Grams. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about... Uh, Monster and its general presence in the awards 2003. So this is my second time on this podcast covering a lone winner uh, after my first episode on Beginners, which won for Christopher Plummer. And like Beginners, uh, Charlize won a lot of precursors and was also the lone nominee at a lot of those precursors. So she won and was the lone nominee at SAG, Critics' Choice, The Golden Globes, National Society of Film Critics, San Francisco Film Critics Circle, Chicago Film Critics Circle, and The Golden Satellites. And she was the lone nominee at BAFTA, Los Angeles Film Critics, and New York Film Critics. So all of those places, either she was nominated or she won. And at none of those places did the movie receive any other nominations, which is interesting. Uh, It is. I'm surprised, like, it didn't do better, like, in other departments. Yeah. Like, for, like, Christina Ricci, or, like, even Patty Jenkins for, like, Best Director. Or even Screenplay. 
or yeah, right. Make them. Anyway, uh, interestingly, I just wrote down about the Golden Globes. I didn't realize until I was doing research for this episode that she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. This was a field where they had six nominees instead of five, and none of those other five nominees ended up getting Oscar nominated, which is very rare oh. for actress in a drama at the Globes. It was right. That's kind of surprising. Durham, Evan Rachel Wood for Thirteen, Nicole Kidman for Cold Mountain, Scarlett Johansson for Girl with a Pearl Earring, and Uma Thurman for Kill Bill Volume One. That's a really interesting lineup. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting year for Best Actress. It's a year I'm going to get to talk about a couple more times. Because Something's Gotta Give and Whale Rider are also lone nominees. So I will be going oh. back to this Best Actress field a couple times in the future. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. It was a really good year for nominees for Best Actress, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen all of them. But the ones that I've seen, I definitely have thoughts on. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, some other... Uh, it got a lot of nominations elsewhere other than the ones that I mentioned. It made the AFI Top 10, like of the year, along with American Splendor, Finding Nemo, The Human Stain, In America, The Last Samurai, Lost in Translation, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Master and Commander, and Mystic River. It played the Berlin Film Festival in 2004. Uh, it was up for the Golden Bear, and Charlize Theron tied for Best Actress with Catalina Sandino Moreno for Maria Philip Grace, another performance I will get to talk about in this podcast eventually. <laughs> Uh, it won the Casting Society Award for Best Casting for an Independent Feature. Uh, at the Independent Spirits, it picked up a lot of those nominations that we were saying it should have won. Or at least it, it won for Charlie Theron and for Best First Feature. And it was nominated for Best First Screenplay, which it lost to The Station Agent. Las Vegas Film Critics, Charlie Theron wins. And it was nominated for Christina Ricci and Best Screenplay. Finally, Christina Ricci shows up somewhere. <laughs> Right. Um, and the screenplay. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Uh, National Board of Review, curiously, it won Best Breakthrough Performance by an Actress for Charlize. Even though this was not necessarily a breakthrough. She was an AMP. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, Charlize won Performer of the Year for this and The Italian Job. It only got three nominations anywhere for Best Makeup, which were... Uh, yeah. International Online Cinema Awards, the Italian Online Movie Awards, and the Online Film and TV Association. So, the people online like the makeup, if the critics and the... Just not the Academy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also wrote down, okay, at the MTV Movie Awards, she, I believe, won... No, she was nominated for Best Female Performance. The winner was Uma Thurman for Kill Bill, other nominees, Drew Barrymore for Fifty First Dates, Queen Latifah for Bringing Down the House, and Halle Berry for Gothica, which is an interesting lineup. But that so, is, I, I remember reading that, and I just, I started laughing, because it's yeah. just so random. But your game here is, since 2003, how many Best Actress winners have been nominated for the MTV Movie Award for Best Female Performance? From... What years? From 2003 onward to now. How many Best Actress Oscar winners have been MTV Movie Award nominees as well? I'm trying to think of the Best Actress winners in recent years. Um, 
because like MTV usually nominates like really like more movies for teens, I guess. Like compared to like dramas that are for the Oscars, it seems. Yeah, I want to say five. Five is correct. Really? Don't take a stab at who any of those five might have been. Um, and I'm guessing the winners or the nominees. Winners. There were winners of okay. the Oscars. I, I want to say Reese Witherspoon. Yes, Reese Witherspoon for Walk the Line. Correct. Okay. Um. Well, Charlie Theron. Does that count already? Or after her? Sorry. Okay. 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 After Charlie. Okay. I'm gonna close my laptop so you know I'm not cheating. Um. <laughs> Meryl Streep? No, not Meryl. No? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, like actresses who have been in like more like actiony comedies oh. that like would have been. Well- some of these are fully wild to the MTV nominated them. It's God. kind of um, it's a wild guess, but Olivia Coleman? No, no. Okay. Um, oh, Renee Zellweger? No. Also, oh? not. Uh, <laughs> That's surprising, actually. Do you want me to just tell you? Um. Wait. Give me one more guess. Okay, one- <laughs> I was kind of surprised I was right with Reese, but like... Well, the teens love Reese. Everybody right? Who doesn't love Reese? Come on. <laughs> um, people that I think were going more off the goodwill of their uh, celebrity, let's say, rather than MTV voters having watched these movies for the most part. Right. Uh, um... Just blanking on all the Oscar winners now again. <laughs> is one. it? Huh? I need to check on one of these now because right. I feel like one of these has to be in it that I didn't write down. Right. Sandra Bullock. Yes, Sandra Bullock for the Blind Side. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Let's see how many more you can get before you get one wrong? Nicole Kidman. Uh, no. Also, okay. I did forget to write one, so there were six. Forgot to write one down. Six. Uh, I was going to guess six, actually, but then I went with five. Would have been right. Well, I would have been wrong then. <laughs> I write one of them down. And let me make sure I didn't forget any of Because oh, now I'm down. Wait. So we're going 2003 to 2021? Yes. Okay, I give up. <laughs> okay. The other three were Hilary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. Oh. Natalie Portman for, uh, for Black Swan. Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook, the one that I forgot to write down. Yeah. And the wildest one, Kate Winslet for The Reader. <laughs> MTV favorite Holocaust drama, The Reader. <laughs> I- Makes sense. No. <laughs> it makes sense off the name of Kate Winslet, not off the uh, 
subject matter of the movie. Not a very MTV crowd-friendly movie. No. <laughs> That's kind of funny, though. <laughs> Monster also received a second nomination at MTV uh, I, for Best Kiss. Because it was a kiss, which it lost. I, I think we could all agree to that. Yeah. It lost to Starsky and Hutch for a kiss between Owen Wilson, Carmen Electra, and Amy Smart, which I have not seen Starsky and Hutch, so I... I haven't either. <laughs> I assume that's probably a comedy kiss uh, based on probably. The, the general premise of what that <laughs> sounds like. But, yeah, I mean, I also don't know how much of the uh, MTV awarding the kiss in the movie is on like, oh, that's a genuinely sweet emotion versus, hey, isn't it hot to, she, to see Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci making out? It's right. probably more of a lot I don't want to give MTV too much credit for that, but you know. Right. Yeah, that's probably what they were going with. <laughs> yeah, you get what you get. I right. I story, I think, on IMDb about how one of the big producers on this movie, I guess, had been sold on this as like, a steamy lesbian thriller with Christina Ricci and Charlize Theron. And when he saw like the first cut of the movie, he stormed into the, uh, into someone's office and was like, what are you doing? This is not the movie I signed on. (laughs) Shut him out from future production meetings. That's fun. Um, I was looking at the producers and I believe this is Charlize's first um, production credit too. That would make sense. Of like, yeah, and one of the other names was Mark Damon, and I thought it was Matt Damon. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that he produced this. And yeah. then I was like, nope, that, that's Mark. <laughs> uh, the other award I did write down, just because I thought it was funny, it won the Iowa Film Critics Award for Best Movie Yet to Open in Iowa. <laughs> Which I think that probably speaks a lot to why this movie ends up not uh, really building the traction for any other nominations is that it did get a qualifying release. It was very late in December. And then it opened wide in early January. So even though critics were really liking it and it was getting uh, prizes at festivals and such, it didn't really have a lot of momentum or a lot of time to build momentum for a lot of right uh, because it opened so late. Uh, which I think also speaks a lot to why this is such a weird year for Best Actress, because if the front runner, if the eventual sweep winner opens that late in the game, you don't really... It's a very interesting conversation to have about this whole... Right. Came out at a weird time for... But I'm glad she made it in and ended up winning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the other thing about this actress field... Uh, going back to the Golden Globes a little bit, is that I said that all of the other drama uh, nominees didn't get in. The only two Oscar nominees that were Globe nominated in Best Actress were Charlize and then Diane Keaton, who won the Comedy Globe for Something's Gotta Give. And they were kind of like way out in front, front runners, the only two that had any real chance of winning this Oscar, uh, which is, it's such a weird Best Actress year because you yeah. have... Uh, Naomi Watts for 21 Grams and Samantha Morton for In America, which are both movies that were like kind of early front runners that the buzz had died out on a lot by the end, and then both mm-hmm. sort of came back at, at, like out of nowhere to get those nominations. And Keisha Castle Hughes for Whale Rider, who, like I've mentioned many times on this podcast, 
is a child actor in a lead performance that they were campaigning and supporting all year long. I think she right. got a SAG nomination in supporting because that's where they placed her. But it's the one time uh, Academy voters have ever called bullshit on that. And they put right. Which I was actually surprised about that because, like, most, like, nominees, like, in other places that are supporting for, like, when they're leading, like, just get thrown in the supporting. And, like, I'm glad that she was nominated for leading actress here. She deserved it, too, in my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah, weird year for best actress. A year I will be talking about two more times, like I said, right. and for Keisha Castle Hughes. This is, a, in general, a year I get to talk about a lot. Because you have those right. And you have Alec Baldwin and supporting actor for The Cooler. And supporting actress, you have the aforementioned Patricia Clarkson in Pieces of April. And Holly Hunter in 13. So this is the year I will eventually get to talk about six out of 20 acting nominees. So <laughs> that is a, it is a very fruitful year for this podcast. Right. It, it was a really random year for nominations there, like at the Oscars as a whole. Like, it's not just for Best Actress, but... It's because of Return of the King, basically. Because of right. wrecked everything, but didn't really have a, a foothold in any of the acting fields. So because you're so far in advance frontrunner that ends up having a clean sweep of all, like, 11 nominations, doesn't really have an acting contender, it leaves right. a lot of these fields open to be like, okay, we can't turn to the best picture from Hunter. What are we going to go for? So Best Actress ends up going to a lone nominee. Uh, and you get Mystic River getting lead and supporting wins. Right. Side. And Renee cashing in on her uh, <laughs> momentum for a interesting performance in an interesting movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that movie in years, but I still remember it being just not that great of a performance. Yeah. It's not a bad but, movie. It's not right. awful. There's some interesting acting choices being made by a lot of the cast. Right. She is at the very least very compelling. It's how to keep your eyes off her when she's on screen. I'll say that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I mean, we mentioned it a bunch. Christina Ricci should have been here for supporting actors. Right. And close to it. But I I could see there being a timeline uh, where the the strength that Charlize has and all of the eyes going to that performance from all of the voters, she ends up getting a random coattail nomination out of nowhere. Like the only nomination she got that I wrote down is for the Las Vegas film critics. Like she doesn't show up anywhere else. But I could see right. her being one of those just random Oscar nominations because they love right. Charlize so much. Right. But she so should have been a nominee for it. But, yeah. eh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, right. I'm going to look at my other... I don't have, like, a written-down uh, ballot this year for who I would have nominated. But I'm just going to look at other movies this year that I've liked to see if anyone else stands out. Like, like I said, I didn't really, uh, I wouldn't necessarily have voted for uh, Renee. And right. of the other supporting actress nominees here, I've only seen uh, Marsha Gay for Mr. River. I haven't yet seen 
13 or pieces of April or House of Sand and Which I like Marsha's great in that movie, but like I might have switched her out for Christina too, not gonna mm-hmm. lie. Yeah. Again, I get that it's a it was even at the time a somewhat divisive performance that not everyone was on board with, or at least on the right way right. for. So I get why she doesn't really uh, have the same momentum. But like, I feel like people are, were way too hard on I don't really get right. a lot of the complaints that people had about her. Right. Yeah, I definitely could have seen her getting in here. And I think she, she should have. I mean, I guess we're just sort of circling that same uh, right. <laughs> conversation. Um, yeah. I also want to say, I feel like this should have been nominated for Best Picture yeah. over Seabiscuit. I haven't seen Seabiscuit, <laughs> but I feel like you're probably not too far off in the right. I remember I, I've seen Seabiscuit once. It was years ago. Like, maybe like, I think I was like seven when I watched it. Which, like, I can't really <laughs> say too much, but I just remember it not being that memorable compared to like monster like no one talks about sea biscuit anymore oh yeah and like like, like we've said monster has had a much uh, longer relevancy and more so right right i do wonder you bring up an interesting point about uh, best picture and i've done this a few times it's an interesting game uh or conversation to have of what if this were a year of 10 if the uh, Best Picture lineup had been expanded out to 10, what the other five nominees might have been. And I wonder I'd... if something like Monster could have been in there just based on the love for Charlize. Because I think it definitely would have been. Yeah, because it's a winner. Like, other lone nominees, you, uh, hard to argue for. Like, you do have stuff like The Blind Side and The Post and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close which are picture and acting nominees only. But like, right. with a winner, I could easily see something like Monster being in like a ninth or 10th place here. Right. And like- That's interesting. Cause like, I kind of wish they would have started with 10 from like sooner. Cause there's so many great films that were just ignored for best yeah. picture and stuff. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, like I, I'm not going to get too far into it. We don't have to go f- too far down that rabbit hole. Like, right figuring out what six, seven, eight, nine, and ten would be. But like it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to say that Monster very well could have been like eight, nine, or ten in that line. Right. Right. Especially because she like I said, Charlize was probably never going to lose this award. So you definitely right. have to do that. I don't know, like I've done that I've done that uh that thought exercise before a few times going back to like all the years but I don't know if I'd ever considered Monster when doing that for right. this in particular but yeah I feel like it probably would have been in there over a lot of these other movies like City of God probably would have shown up uh, and Cold Mountain almost certainly would have shown up but I think maybe Finding Nemo might have been nominated like that seems weird yeah. but like it did really well in other categories oh yeah that's like a how many? That's a four-time nominee. Yeah. It even got a best screenplay and what is that? Best sound editing. Yeah. I mean, they're more like smaller awards, but like... Screenplay isn't anything to 
Well, yeah, screenplay is kind of a big one, but <laughs> definitely could have seen that be nominated. Yeah, like, so in America, fuck it, well, let's do this. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to fight for Big Fish. Yeah. Ooh, oh, but Big Fish only gets a score nomination. So I know. But you never know. Different year, <laughs> uh, if they have 10, different conversations to be had. Uh, right. God, which is a picture screenplay editing cinematography nominee. I feel like that could have shown up. Cold Mountain, expected to do really well, kind of falls by the wayside, but does still end up getting a win for Renee, nomination for Jude Law, bunch of other nominations. I could see that happening. Right. A monster in nine or ten. Yes. I think that. I think so. Yeah. Finding Nemo. I think you make a really good point with that. And so where does that leave us? In America, two acting nominations in the screenplay, maybe? Or maybe House of Sand and Fog. I think that one did kind of okay. Yeah, that's a really good one. American Splendor, maybe, but that only has a screenplay nomination. Ooh, five-time nominee, SAG winner for Best Actor, Pirates of the Caribbean. What do we think? Do we think it gets overshadowed by fantasy epic Lord of the Rings and seafaring movie Master and Commander, or do we think it gets in? I, I feel like it could squeeze in. People love that movie. I know. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of it. <laughs> it's fun. I've never, I've never seen it like fully through. Like, those, those first three, at least, were actually pretty fun. I, I, would, I would recommend them. They're, they're fun. Yeah, I think that's, that might be your next five. So Cold Mountain, uh, City of God, Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Monster. I feel, I feel confident in that. I feel pretty safe. In that. Yeah. With maybe In America or uh, House of Sand and Fog or 21 Grams in like the 11 to 13 spots where one of those could have popped up over Pirates of the Caribbean or something. Right. That would, that would have been interesting. Like, if they would have done 10 films, like, longer before. Did it start in 2010? 2009. Nine. Yeah, nine, ten. Okay. Right nine. That would have been interesting. Yeah. It's always a fun uh, little thought exercise to do. It's like, what movies would they have liked that much more? Right. But then it feels like sometimes they just add a movie in to be like, oh, this is nominated to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting uh, year for the Oscars. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's not a whole lot more to say about this at the Oscars. Though. Right. Like, makeup is pretty much sealed up. It's always going to be those three big epics. Right. Supporting right. doesn't really have a lot of room for movement. Uh, best director. It's true. I mean, I hate to put it, lightly, but this is definitely at least how the Oscars, how a lot of voters would have felt. They already have a different movie directed by a woman. This is actually right. Okay, so Lost in Translation is this year. Sofia Coppola gets a Best Director nomination, Best Picture, a bunch of other nominations. Best Actress has. It is still to date the only time that there have been three movies in an acting field, all nominated that are directed by a woman, because you have 
uh, Monster, Something's Gotta Give, and Whale Rider. Curiously, three movies I get to talk about. What a coincidence. Right. Definitely not anything there. Uh, I really do wonder if Monster would have done well or would have done better in more categories if it had been directed by a man. If it was like the same movie, but if there was I, a male director that voters could be like finding a way. To I honestly it. don't think if this film were written or directed by a man, I don't think it would have gotten like any attention actually. Oh, because cool. like the way that uh, Patty Jenkins like writes the female characters like really elevates the film, and yeah. I feel like if a guy were to do it, it would be kind of like a kind of like sort of looking for. It would have turned it more into like a <sighs> can't find the right word. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're trying to say. It you been, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that make, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I don't um, want to imagine Monster directed by a man. Yeah, no. <laughs> that movie has been made plenty of times. Yeah. Right. But, and then I believe uh, 13, also. Another acting nominee and supporting actress, also directed by a woman. So, you have, have you seen that movie yet? I have not. It's, it's very good. I'm excited to get to it whenever I do get to it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, out of this year, Bill Murray, the three actresses I mentioned, and Holly Hunter, that's five out of 20 uh, acting nominations are for movies directed by women, which I don't think that uh, number has ever been reached since, which is interesting, uh, even if right. four of those five are movies I get to talk about, which is, you know, not the best uh, track record for that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I feel like that, that might have... The Sofia Coppola narrative might have hurt those other movies in some fucked up way of like the voters. Right. As we're already rewarding one of them, which, you know, yeah. this past year which, was the first time we got two female directors nominated at the same time. So, Right. When there were three that were like the front runners, but they're like, oh, there's two. Yeah. <laughs> On that happy note, uh, let's move into our final segment here. Uh, if we don't okay. have much more else to say about the Oscars here. So let's, I mean, we've already been sort of circling this uh, topic, but in your ideal world, what other nominations would you have given Monster? Everything you would have nominated it for in your personal awards? I wrote this out. I wrote Best Picture, Supporting Actress, Director, and Screenplay. Very simple. And Makeup. Well, yeah, Makeup as well. And I think if it's five, it probably would have killed. Yeah, no, those are all pretty solid, airtight nominations. I think especially picture and especially supporting actress for me. These are pretty up there for me, along with Charlie's, obviously. Makeup as well. I do really like the costumes in this, for whatever reason. I think it's really good. That would have been a really, like, good nominee. It would be deserved. Yeah, like, and very. It'd be like, oh, monster! But then you'll watch it and be like, that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I think this movie. It just happened to be, you know, not what people were on the right wavelength for, aside from this performance. But give it a couple years, and I think it very well could have been a major contender in a lot of those categories. It just. Oh yeah. Not the right. Like I feel like if it came out like like this year 
I feel like it would have gotten all those nominations like easily. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, or even just a couple years after it was like, it's ahead of its time, but not by that much. Like, it, uh, general movie making caught up to this particular sort of uh, air pretty quickly. Uh, it just happened to be ahead of the curve. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, button to put on this conversation. So thank you right. for on this podcast. Thank you for... Uh, yes, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any <laughs> uh, particular social media you want to plug? Anything you want to plug? Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at the perks of being Kevin. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this Halloween-themed episode monster. Uh, <laughs> a little coincidence there. Thank you for right. listening. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast, the ghouls all came from their humble.